Well, hey, everybody. Man, let me welcome you to our online worship today. Uh, I don't know where you're participating with us from. Maybe you're sitting in the living room uh, here in Savannah like I was with Sarah this past week. Or, or maybe you're sitting in a flat in London or, you know, you're home in Canada or, man, you're in an apartment in Taiwan. And if it sounds like I know Compassion Christians who are watching from all those places, it's because I do. And listen, if you're watching from somewhere way off, just throw it in the chat right now. Let us know where you're watching from today. But we're so glad you're watching with us in this online service. But we're also looking forward to resuming our public worship services on September 23rd and 27th. So man, please pray for us that we'll continue to do the best of things in the hardest of times and that we will just move towards safely and responsibly gathering our church together next month. But now today, before we get into our study of the amazingly resilient life of Joseph, I want to introduce you to a friend, uh, a ministry partner. Uh, his name is Dean Collins. He's the president of Point University. He is a blessing to our church, blessing to me. Got some great news for us today, y'all. Dean, come on in here, man. Hey. Come on in here and share with us. Listen, now Dean is here uh, as the president of Point University. And listen, we have who knows how many hundreds of people in our church have taken classes at Point. Uh, man, we have hundreds and hundreds of students in high school who have done half their college work at Point. And we got members of our church who have degrees, I mean, full university degrees from Point University. And Dean is here today as the president of that great Christian university to talk to us about an amazing opportunity that's opened up for the people in our church family. So Dean, talk to us, man. What you got for us today? Well, before I tell you about the opportunity, I need to tell you, thank you. Thank you for years of support with Point University. You've been our partner since we were in school, <laughs> and that was more than a couple years That's ago. Right. That's exactly so right. So let me tell you about this exciting opportunity. We know that lots of moms and dads are nervous about the idea of going back to college, and we want to provide a safe way for you to get in, go to college, and if you're associated with compassion in any way, you can receive 10%, 15%, maybe up to 20% discount. Now what that means, Cam, yeah. is that after you apply the discount and any state aid that the, that the state of Georgia provides, along with federal aid you might qualify for, right. in every one of those categories, you may be able to go free. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So why would we go to Point University instead of some other university? What's the, what's the, the special thing about Point? And the answer is not just the best university, but well, it's the answer is that we're right. a Christ-centered university. Absolutely. So all of our professors, you know, teach from a Christian worldview. And so we're there, whether you're studying accounting, education, psychology, or anything, right. you're going to get some Bible, you're going to get a Christ-centered orientation to the world, and you're going to graduate with a degree that's equivalent to any other university in Georgia university or around Georgia, the world. Emory, especially University of Georgia. Yeah, yeah, probably not quite as good as Clemson, but no, oh, come, God, come on, man, I'm talking. Anyway, now listen, talk to us about this. Who is this discount available to? It applies to any student at the associate level, at the bachelor's level, and at the master's level. So it doesn't matter whether you're an adult wanting to go back to school or you're that person that you know, mom's finding you on the couch and you didn't go to school and you don't have a job, this is for you. And if you don't want to start right now, because it's getting a little late to August, yep. you can start in October and still have college credit by December. And this is whether you want to just take some classes to make your ministry stronger here, right. or actually pursue a degree or a graduate degree. Uh, any of the above. Wow. Now, I know we're hearing this coronavirus thing and, and Dean, you know, 
we got parents that are worried about, should I send my child back to, to the university right now? Do you have to physically go to Point University to take these classes? All you have to do is physically go to the computer or, and, and yeah. you can take your class there. You never have to leave your home. Wow. So if I want to take advantage of this, what's my next step? Go to uh, onlinepoint.edu, right. applyonlinepoint.edu, wow. and all the information will be there. Wow, so you can go to the Point University website and get all that information. Man, you can follow up that way. If you have any questions, just go to the Point website and you'll get all that information right there. Dean, thank you. Thank you. Bro, thank you for sharing you know, that good news with us. I'll tell you what I'm praying. I am praying that Point University is gonna be blessed by compassion Christians who take classes there. And then I'm praying that the world is gonna be blessed by what Point does to develop our leaders that we can then take into the world to make a difference. So Dean, let me pray for you before you get out of here. Can I do that? Mm -hmm. Father, I'm so thankful for Dean. I'm thankful, Lord, for his leadership at Point University. Father, uh, he and I both were blessed by going to school there all those many years ago. And Father, here today, that university is making a profound difference, not just in Georgia, but around the world. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for the blessing that's gonna come from Point to our church. Lord, I'm thankful for the pastors who have come to our church from Point University. And I just pray, God, that you would bless Dean and his leadership through these disruptive times. I pray, God, that you will send blessing from unexpected directions and that our people will be blessed by taking these classes and building their heart up in the Word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name, Lord. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, Dean. Man, we appreciate you. Appreciate you. And listen, we're going to continue our study of just the amazing resilience of a young man named Joseph that he showed in a time of disruptive, discouraging times, just like the times we're in right now. Now, when I was in college at Point University, I was involved in a car accident that dinged me up a little bit. Uh, man, when we, we hit his telephone pole, my face hit the dash, shattered my face. Uh, both of my ankles were broken. My bones were broken off my back. I mean, I just, I got banged up a little bit. And I can remember thinking, when is this gonna stop hurting? Because I'm telling you, man, when they pulled me out of that car, it hurt. And when they, you know, I was riding in the ambulance to the hospital and every time that guy would hit the brakes and I'd slide forward on that gurney, it just was killing me, man. And then they lifted me into a bed of the ER and it hurt. And they rolled me onto the x-ray table. They rolled me over and over and over and it hurt. And then they wired my jaws shut for like three months. And every time I'd see somebody eating a steak, it would really hurt, man. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, everything I was eating for three months went through a straw. You know what I'm talking about? But have you ever been in a situation like that? I mean, were you so disappointed in your mate every time you think of them, it hurts? Dude, you having such a hard time at work, it hurts. You lose your job, it hurts. You get disappointed with life, and then you see yourself becoming cynical, and that's not you, and it hurts. And it doesn't hurt because you don't care. It hurts because you do care. I mean, man, you've been faithful, and you've tried to be helpful, and yet... You get disappointed over and over again and hurt over and over again. And if that happens long enough, it can be discouraging. Now, friends, this is why the Bible teaches us not to grow weary in doing good, because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Now, that attitude that endures through hardship and refuses to give up is called resilience. And I'm telling you, we're going to see jo Joseph just do a clinic you know, on facing discouragement with a resilient spirit in Genesis chapter 40. Uh, so open your Bible to Genesis chapter 40. Man, just open it up, leave it open in your lap. We're going to go from 39 to 40. We're going to bounce around a little bit here. 
but, but there's kind of a backstory here, and let me tell you about this. Joseph was one of those guys who got hit a lot who was never overcome by discouragement. Now, let's talk about some of the reasons he could have been discouraged. And you know, we've been studying his story for weeks now. And think about the cumulative weight that could have discouraged him, and yet it didn't because Joseph believed, man, God's with me. I mean, remember back in chapter 37, you know, when Joseph is pampered by his father and hated by his brothers who sold him into slavery because they were jealous? I mean, dude, talk about a dysfunctional family. Wow. And I mean, in just a matter of days, Joseph goes from being the pampered son of a wealthy father to a victim of human trafficking, marooned in a foreign country. He's 17 years old. He's a young man. He didn't deserve that. You remember in Genesis 39 where Joseph is punished because he did the right thing? I mean, man, we studied this last week. You know, Pastor Harrison taught on this. And if you missed that message, I hope you'll check it out on our website. But, you know, that's a message about Joseph facing sexual temptation. And man, in our culture today, <laughs> we need to learn that lesson. You know, when Joseph got to Egypt, he was sold to an Egyptian security officer named Potiphar. But instead of being depressed or bitter, you know what? Joseph just bloomed where he was planted and God blessed that with promotion after promotion after promotion. And then, you know, he's rising up in Potiphar's house feeling like, you know, life is starting to look better. And he gets hit again. His master's crazy wife tries to seduce him and she's about as subtle as a brick through the windshield. You know what I'm talking about? You read that chapter and it's almost funny in kind of a pathetic way. But when Joseph refused her sexual advances, she hated him for that. And she accused him of attempted rape. And man, she, you know, this all resulted in Joseph being thrown into prison. In Psalm 105, verse 18, it says, they bruised Joseph's feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. And I'm telling you, man, if that happened to me, <laughs> I'd be thinking, Lord, I did the right thing and I got in worse trouble. I mean, I'm thinking at least I landed on my feet. You know, I'm in an upper class household as a slave. And now I'm kicked out of that. and I'm a slave in this stinking dungeon. You might expect Joseph to be bitter toward God and say, God, really, this is how you reward the righteous? Really? I mean, what about those dreams you gave me when I was a kid about me being a ruler one day? Lord, where's that? Or you might expect Joseph to start withdrawing from people. You know what, man, it hurt me once. That's your fault. It hurt me twice. That's my fault. Or you might expect Joseph to become cynical because he'd been hurt so bad by so many people that now he's just expecting the worst from everybody. You know, Kerry Newhoff uh, has written a book entitled Didn't See It Coming. <laughs> and this book is honestly about some of the discouraging challenges of life when you're a follower of Jesus that sneak up on you because you're trying to do the right thing and you expect right things to happen and they don't always happen. And let me tell you, one of the things that sneaks up on you is you get cynical after you get hurt a few times. Now, Kerry uh, was an attorney in Toronto. God called Kerry into the ministry literally right after he passed the bar exam. <laughs> what, I'm thinking, what timing on that, right? And he writes about his first little church he went to serve up in Canada, and he is helping and helping and helping this, you know, little family in this church that were really, really needy. And they came up to him one day after all this help and said, we're leaving. And he's like, what? Why are you leaving? They like, you're not doing enough and you're not available enough. And this church doesn't care enough, so we're out of here. And Carrie was dumbfounded 
He's like, man, this is a family that was so needy. I prayed for them, visited them, cared for them more than any other family in the church. But you know what? It wasn't enough for them. So they left. And you know, Kerry was so young in the ministry, he hadn't really learned about appropriate boundaries yet. He hadn't really learned that there are some people who have a spirit of discontent. And so it don't matter what you do, they're never gonna be satisfied. And so they left. And after genuinely trying to help, he got burned and the seed started growing in his heart. You know, cynicism is that gnawing negativity that starts to dominate your mind when you get discouraged. You know, you start projecting the bad things that happened in your past onto the future. My family didn't appreciate me. Nobody ever will. My husband doesn't appreciate me. No man ever will. My boss didn't protect me. No boss ever will. I mean, think about Joseph. I said no to sex with that crazy woman out of faithfulness to God. And then God let me go to prison. And so you get disappointed. And after a while you get discouraged. And after a while you get cynical. And then you just get negative about life and people and God. But friends, cynicism is a choice. That's a choice. Life doesn't make you cynical. You make you cynical. You choose that. And what's remarkable about this young man is after all the disappointment he had to face, he does not choose cynicism. He chooses to continue to believe that God is with him. Now, man, if you know the story of Joseph, you know that going to jail was part of God's providential plan to move him from being a house slave in Potiphar's house to being the prime minister of Egypt. But Joseph couldn't possibly get from the, you know, to the prime minister's office from an apartment in the back alley of Potiphar's house. And so God allows Joseph to endure some temporary difficulty. Listen to this, temporary difficulty that moves him toward his eventual destiny of blessing. I mean, the blessing God has in mind for him, right? Now, did God you know, cause all these bad things to happen to Joseph? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think Joseph got sold into slavery because he lives in a sinful world and he's got a dopey dad you know, who chooses to show partiality to one kid in the family and then the brothers choose jealousy and resentment and hate and violence. And Joseph is the victim of that. I, I think he gets thrown into prison because he lives in a sinful world where some sex crazed woman chooses to punish him because he resisted her advances. I mean, thank God he had a master who was a good guy, could have had him executed. Instead, he chose to put him in jail. Now, I don't think God causes all these bad things, but we certainly see God working through all these bad things for Joseph's good. And listen, 3,000 years later, the apostle Paul will echo this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose for them. Now, it doesn't say that God causes everything. It's God causes everything to work together for the good of those that he loves who've been called according to his purpose. And man, I'm telling you, as we work through chapter 40, we're going to see that Joseph doesn't get cynical because he chooses to believe that God is with him. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it hard to get his head around? <laughs> of course. But friends, Joseph's heart is protected from discouragement and cynicism because he continues to do he continues to do what anybody would do if they actually believed that God was with them. And so 
Let's look at some of the tactics. I mean, some of the tactical thinking that Joseph does to prevail over discouragement. I mean, we can learn from this, right? We can watch the tactical choices that Joseph makes as he faces discouraging circumstances. And listen, if you want God to bless you the way he blessed Joseph, maybe you ought to do what Joseph did so God can bless you. Here's tactic number one. Joseph chose to live with a sense of responsibility. Responsibility. Now, if you remember last week, Pastor Harrison showed us how rather than moping and whining because he was a slave in Potiphar's house, brother threw his heart into the work. And when he threw his heart into that work, God blessed him. He, God blessed him so much, even his unbelieving master could see that this is special. This kid's special. God's doing something special in his life. Look at chapter, all right, chapter 39. Here we go. We're flipping now. Here we go. Chapter 39, verse two. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered, even though he was living in the house of his Egyptian master. Man, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes of the Egyptian slave owner. And then Potiphar puts him in charge of his household and he entrusts everything to his care, everything he owns. And from the time he put Joseph in charge of his household, the blessing of the Lord, listen to this, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had because Joseph was there. And so he left Joseph in Joseph's care everything he had. It's amazing. Everything Joseph touched worked better. But listen to me, listen. Mrs. Potiphar's sexual sin put an end to the blessing of God on that house. Think about it. You've seen this happen a thousand times with your friends. Her sin put an end to the blessing of God on that house because, her, <laughs> because of her sin, the source of God's blessing on that home is moving from Potiphar's house to prison. I mean, look what happens next in verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, what? The Lord was with him, just like the Lord was with him at Potiphar's house. God showed Joseph kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. God is working in Joseph's life to bless him in that prison to the point that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. Now, dude, talk about an A player. I mean, man, when you face discouraging work circumstances, you can slack off or dude, you can saddle up. And Joseph saddled up. I mean, he said, all right, it is what it is. And I'm looking for things to do. Everything that brother touched got better because he was involved. Now, friends, because Joseph knew that the guy, it, it, if he made the guy he worked for look good, God would bless that and it would be good for him as well. Now, friends, the Apostle Paul echoes almost the same thing 3,000 years later when he says to his Colossian friends who live in Turkey, man, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as walk, working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What's he saying? Man, if you're working hard, God is going to bless that. He's going to bless that. If you do your work as if you're working with Jesus, listen, man, you work differently than normal people do. And people notice that. And God notices that. Now, I have a friend in our church who lost his job a couple weeks ago. It was a great job. And I think the reason he lost his job is because the company that bought his company out is crazy. 
they put a crazy person in charge of his department and he lost his job. You know what's happening for him right now? Doors are opening everywhere. You know why? Number one, the favor of God on his life. He's not lucky. This ain't luck, friends. This is the favor of God. Number two, because his character compelled him to make himself, listen, indispensable to the company he worked for. Now, let me tell you something. Crazy people don't recognize indispensability and they don't always reward it. But a lot of people he did business with do. And that's why offers are coming to this compassion Christian left and right right now. Now, look back to Joseph's story. Miss Potiphar was crazy. She didn't recognize Joseph's indispensability to the blessing and favor of God on their home. And so she got him fired like it was no big deal. And the favor of God left her home. And listen, God used that firing to eventually elevate Joseph to a more strategic position. Friends, Joseph chose to make himself indispensable to every organization he served. Read the story. Everywhere he goes, brother's indispensable. And God blesses that. And he'll bless you that way too, if you make yourself indispensable. Here's another tactic that, that uh, God blessed. Joseph chose to show compassion to hurting people even when he was hurting. Joseph was a hurting people, and yet he still had a heart for hurting people. Even though Joseph was hurting, he was sensitive to the people around him. Look at chapter 40, chapter 40, verse 1. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, who was the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was being confined. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and Joseph attended them. Now, the baker was the king's chef and the cupbearer was the king's wine taster. And both of these guys were players on kind of the secret service. They were part of the king's security team. Uh, back in the day, man, the cupbearer and the chef were like firewalls against assassination attempts. And they would actually taste the wine and the food before it was given to Pharaoh, uh, just to make sure that if it was poison, the king wouldn't die. So let me tell you, everybody had a vested interest in making sure that king got good food and good wine, right? But for some reason, Pharaoh got ticked off with the chef and the wine taster. We're not sure why, doesn't say why in the text, when I let my imagination run wild, I'm thinking, well, maybe he ate something that didn't agree with him. He got sick. He thought, they're trying to poison me. And he throws those two guys in prison until he finds out what's going to happen. Or maybe they tried to get him off carbs, put him, you know, a no-carb no diet, and he got ticked off. About I, don't know what, I don't know what the reason was. I just know that those two guys were thrown in prison, which is where God arranged for Joseph to meet them. Now, friends, we're getting ready to see another providential work of God to move Joseph to the prime minister's position from the most unexpected possible place right here in this prison. Look at verse four. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, they had a dream the same night and each dream had its own meaning. Now, friends, let's hit pause here for a second. These are not ordinary dreams, all right? These are visions. Man, this is a vivid way for God to communicate something. God had a message for these guys, a message for Pharaoh. These are supernatural dreams. This is not what happened because you ate a lot of pizza right before you went to bed at night, all right? What I'm saying is don't try to interpret every crazy dream you ever have as if it's from God. It's probably not. But these were, they were special. Look at verse six. 
When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Now, friends, look at this. Joseph is what, 25, 26, 27, 28 years old? He's been unfairly imprisoned. People have been jerking him around since he was 17. But he's not cynical. He's still choosing to show compassion to these new prisoners. Hey, guys, what's wrong? Why are your faces so down? What's wrong? I bet those guys are cynical about, you know, getting jerked out of the, you know, royal chamber and thrown into prison. What do you mean what's wrong? We're in prison, you idiot. But listen, Joseph doesn't let their cynicism reduce his compassion. No, man, come on. What's wrong? Why do you look like this? And honestly, you couldn't blame Joseph. He said, what are you knuckleheads crying about? You ought to hear my story. But you know what? He doesn't, he doesn't know it. But Joseph's compassion is going to be the very thing God uses to position him for a future promotion. He doesn't even know that. Listen, he's just doing what anybody would do who loves people and believes that God is with them. But before that next big thing happens, don't miss this next tactic and third tactic. Joseph chose to be bold about his faith. Now, Joseph is about to do something in this story that we're going to see him do again in the next chapter. This time it's really easy. Next time it's going to be really dangerous, but it's a choice. It's a choice he makes based on what he believes. And because it's based on his beliefs, he makes it when the pressure is off and he makes it when the pressure is on. Now, can I just say this is one of the things that people really admire the most in followers of Jesus. When you're the same person at work or at beach or at the church, people love that consistency. It makes them think your faith is real. Now, now look at verse eight. In verse eight, they say to Joseph, look, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And what does Joseph say? Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Did you see how he works his relationship with God into that jail cell conversation in a way that actually gives glory to the Lord? Guys, only God can interpret dreams, man. Tell me what they are. I'll pray. Maybe he'll tell me what it means. Now, he could have said, dude, I'm here to help you, bro. Man, I'm an expert on dream interpretation. He could have been cocky about it or he could have been scared. Listen, last time I told anybody about one of my dreams, I got beat up and sold into prison, sold into slavery. I ain't telling anybody anything. But he wasn't fearful and he wasn't foolish. He was honest. Guys, only God knows what a dream means. Tell me what your dream was and I'll ask him to tell, him, tell me what it means. Now, I, I love this guy. I love this guy. He's so smooth about letting the cupbearer and the baker know the Lord is with me. That's why I'm going to be able to help you. Now, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, you should let your good deeds shine out for all the world to see. And then everybody will praise your heavenly father. And that's what Joseph is boldly doing in that prison cell. He's not trying to draw attention to himself. Dude, he is deflecting glory to God in advance, up front about his faith. And man, I love this next tactic, this next move. Joseph chose to be spiritually available. He's available. Listen, he knew he had a spiritual gift. God revealed the meaning of dreams to him. He didn't do it. It came from the Lord, but he had that gift and he knew it. And so he used it. Now, now think about this. Our compassion often brings us into people's lives, but our gifts are what empower us to help, right? Now, if, if you're in the chat right now, why don't you just type in what your spiritual gift is? You know what it is. 
I mean, you've been using it for years. It's what you're best at. It's what gives you the most joy. Man, give God some glory. Just type, type your gift into the chat right now so you can give the Lord some glory. And while you're doing that, look at verse 9. In verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, you know, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed and the clusters ripened into grapes and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And so I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and I put the cup into the hand of Pharaoh. And Joseph is like, well, this is what that dream means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you're going to put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Now, friends, I love this kid. I mean, his life has been totally disrupted by, you know, trafficking and slavery and imprisonment. But that didn't mean he lost his gift of interpreting dreams. He could still serve the Lord. He didn't quench his gift by embracing some sinful lifestyle. He didn't lose his gift because of neglect. Listen to me. One of the most dangerous things about this season of, you know, isolation and pandemic and, and we're only able to worship online. One of the most dangerous things is what could happen to your spirit if you don't choose to seek fellowship through our groups and if you don't choose to serve by using your gifts somewhere, somehow. Now, listen, you can sign up right now. We have a growth track, growth track. We have online right now. If you're brand new to our church, you can sign up for growth track. And listen, you can start learning all about our church. What do we believe? How do you get into a group? How do you figure out what your spiritual gift is? How do you serve? Dude, I don't care if you live in Zimbabwe or, you know, South Georgia, you can figure out what your gifts are and get into play. Now, friends, Joseph blessed others with his gift in the toughest of circumstances. And God blessed him for that. God blessed him. But you can see something else here in his life that God blessed. Tactic number five, Joseph chose to be authentic. Now look at verse 14. Joseph tells the cupbearer and the baker, when all goes well with you, man, remember me. Will you remember me? Show me some kindness. I'm going to be kind to you. You be kind to me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Man, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. Now, here's another life tactic that Joseph uses that God blessed. He kept it real. <laughs> he was authentic. Listen, he told the truth about how he felt. Now, I don't know about you, but I've met some Christians that are, you know, they try to appear so pious. They would say, oh, I guess it's God's will for me to be unfairly imprisoned because of the lies of some corrupt woman. Oh, praise the Lord. Really? That's not what Joseph did. Listen, God's at work in Joseph's life, but he was right. He didn't deserve to be in that prison and he was unfairly imprisoned. Brother was telling the truth. He wanted to be exonerated, but he's also smart. He knew that somebody outside that prison would have to help him get out. And so he's praying to God, but you know, he's networking. He's networking with these guys too. Here's another sign of his authenticity. He was honest with bad news. He was honest with bad news. Look at verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, well, I had a dream too. I mean, on the top of my head were three baskets of bread and in the top basket were all kind of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Now, friends, because of his dreams, Joseph also knew what that dream meant. 
He knew that baker was going to be convicted and he was going to be executed. Now, if you're Joseph, what would you have told that guy? Would you have told him the hard truth or would you have tried to evade that? Wow, that's a difficult dream, man. I'm going to have to pray about that for like, uh, let's say four days and then I'll get right back to you, huh? Friends, you know what? If you're going to help people with compassion, you got to learn to tell hard truth in a compassionate way. When we suspected that my Sarah had cancer, we went to a great surgeon, great surgeon in our city. And I remember the day, you know, he did all his tests and biopsies and all that. And then we went back and he sat us down. He said, is there anybody else you want to have come in here? Got any other family members? Anybody you want to come in here with you? And we're like, no, we're good. And he just sat us down and told us the cold, hard truth in a gentle and compassionate way. And we went into shock. And then we went into action. Because, you know, you got to know the truth before you can act on the truth, right? So, bro, if I come down with a terminal illness, don't tell me, oh, Papa, you're going to be okay. I know you're 92 and you're losing weight like crazy and you never feel good, but you're going to probably live to be 100 years old. Dude, tell me the truth. Lovingly, gently, tell me the truth so I can say what I need to say to the people I love before I go to heaven. You know, a few years ago, we had a guy who just occasionally came to our church. And then he became terminally ill. And because all of his relatives are compassionate Christians, we started to visit him and pray for him and minister to him in hospice. And I remember the day that Pastor Jim Bolin went to see him. And his family's all ringing around the room like this. And Jim's standing by the bed. And he says, Kermit, are you ready to meet the Lord? And Kermit's like, nope. And Jim turned to the family and said, could y'all give us a minute here? Ran him out. Ran him out of the room. And then he sat down with Kermit and he said, brother, it's not too late. And Jim shared the gospel with Kermit and Kermit was led to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that man, Jim said, let me get the family back in here. He calls the family back in. He prays with Kermit. Kermit repents of his sin, prays to receive Jesus. And I'm telling you, when Boland said amen, the look on that man's face was different. And it wasn't just a look on his face. Till he died, he called all his family. He told them individually how much he loved them, how proud he was of them. I mean, stuff he could never do before he became a Christian. I mean, he couldn't say the words, I love you. He just would lock up. But now because he's a follower of Jesus and he has the power of the Holy Spirit and he knows time is running out, he's saying what he needs to say in the power of the Lord Jesus. Now, you know, Joseph told that baker the truth, bro, you got about three days. You better get your life in order. And I'm telling you, sometimes that kind of gentle honesty can lead to some really beautiful, really important choices. But our boy's still in prison. And there's one more tactic that positions Joseph. I'm telling you, God blesses this in the future. Tactic number six, Joseph chose a resilient attitude. I mean, there's one more setback in the story. You just think, dude, the hits just keep on coming, right? Look at verse 20. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all the officials and he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again, he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Now look at verse 23. 
The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph put his hope in a man and that man let him down. Can I just tell you something? That happens. Let me tell you, you put your faith in me. I promise you, I'll disappoint you at some point. I don't want to. I'm just telling you, it'll happen. That's why we put our faith in the Lord, not in men. Look at, look at chapter 41, verse one. When two full years had passed, <laughs> two years, Joseph is in that prison two more years. What in the world did Joseph do to survive two more years in that dungeon? Let me tell you the answer to that. He did the same thing he'd been doing since his brothers beat him up and sold him as a slave. Look at this. Joseph continues. He continues to choose to be responsible. He continues to be compassionate. He continues to be bold. He continues to be available and authentic and resilient. Why? Because God was with him. Disappointed? Sure. Impatient? Yeah. Sick of this? Absolutely. But God was with him and God blessed him. Now, friends, if you're reading through the New Testament with us right now in our New Testament challenge, you know, I, I put my, I put the verse that hits. We read one chapter a day through the New Testament. And I put the verse that hits me uh, on the, you know, on my Instagram account every day. And so, you know, if you want to follow with me, uh, I'd love for you to do that. But this week, if you'd been reading with us, you would read where the Apostle Paul pretty much shows us that the th same thing that was happening in Joseph's life 3,000 years earlier is still happening in Paul's life. And in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, you know what? We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We're perplexed. <laughs> we don't know why things happen the way they do, but we don't give up. We don't quit. Hunted down we are, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, sure, but we get up again and we keep going. And friends, I'm telling you, 2,000 years after Paul wrote that, the same God is trying to build a resilient spirit in you and in me and in Compassion Christian. Now, before we go, before we go today, I want to suggest, I, I mean, as soon as this service is over, we give you these questions at the end of every message. I don't know what you're doing with them, but as soon as this service is over, turn to the person next to you and ask them this question. What has this global time of crisis taken from you? What has it taken from you? Dude, when Joseph went through his pandemic, I mean, he lost position, job, comfort, ease, affirmation, family. Dude, he lost a lot. What have you lost? Why don't you be honest about that? Ask, ask the person next to you, tell the person next to you, what have you lost? And here's the next question. What have you done to remain spiritually resilient? What have you done? Did you do what Joseph did? Did you pray? Have you stayed close to godly friends? Have you locked into a D group here in our church? Have you intentionally shown compassion to somebody else who is hurting even while you're hurting? What have you done to remain spiritual resilient? Tell somebody, you'll help them. They, they may need to know because I'm telling you the same God who built a resilient spirit in Joseph, he's with you, he's with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the service today. Thank you for this opportunity we've had, Lord, to be together. Thank you, Father, that uh, you provide this technology so that even, even while we can't worship publicly together, we can 
be one in spirit. We can learn together. We can, you know, be taking in your word, Lord, so that our spirit stays strong and we're still able to make a difference, Lord, even in these uh, disruptive times. I pray, God, that uh, we'll have some conversation after this service is over, that we'll talk about what, what, what this time has cost us. What has cost, and stay away from the politics and the rants. What has it cost me? What has it taken from me? And yet, what am I doing to make sure I'm not defeated by that? I'm, I'm not devastated by that. What am I doing to stay resilient, like Joseph, like Paul, like Jesus? no matter what. We know your Holy Spirit is here. We know you can change us from the inside out. I pray, God, that somebody here today perhaps knows that they have caved in because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're like my friend Kermit. They don't know you yet. And I pray, God, today they will get on that chat and just type in, I want to say yes. I want to say yes. Somebody tell me how to find the Lord. And God do that miracle in their life today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we love you, man. Thanks for being a part of this service today. Uh, tell all your friends about it. Connect with us on Sunday. We'll see you next week. God bless.